Welcome to Revenue Talks. I'm Katie. And I'm Justin. And on this show, we get real about what it takes to build pipeline and successfully scale businesses. By having conversations with folks who have been there before, we explore what it takes to create strong cross-functional alignment, how technology factors in, how different teams think about attribution, and so much more. If you're looking to win in the revenue era, you're in the right place to learn how. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Revenue Talks podcast. Today, I am joined by Christy Marble, the CMO of Pantheon. Welcome so much, Christy. Thanks for asking me. Pantheon is a web ops platform that empowers teams to collaborate and iterate with speed and agility to deliver websites that produce extraordinary results. And I know speaking from my own professional career and anyone who might be part of a business, obviously a website that performs is very important to the bottom line. So we are so excited to have you. You are a three-time CMO, and we're going to have a conversation today about how you're thinking about marketing's role in delivering a positive customer experience and generating more revenue throughout the entire life cycle of a customer. So to start things off, I actually want to bring up a quote that I was reading from an interview that you did with the MarTech series. So you say, for the CMOs that I talk to, our biggest priority is driving measurable results. We are accountable for market making, which means driving pipeline and accountability for revenue growth. That deeply resonated with me. And I actually wanted to start by asking you, how do you think about measuring revenue accountability for marketing at Pantheon? Great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, it's kind of one of those careful what you ask for things, right? Where, (laughs) gosh, years ago, I remember marketers didn't necessarily have a seat at the table. They weren't in the boardroom. And the focus was more brand and awareness. And now that careful what we ask for. Now we're called growth marketers. Now you see the rate of the pace of change for CMOs moving from company to company. But at the same time, it's really exciting. And at Pantheon, a similar approach that I've taken in the last couple of companies, probably because I started in the direct-to-consumer world with really some of the hyper-growth work that I had the opportunity to do. And so one of the things that I've brought to Pantheon in my prior organizations is A couple of things, a concept that first, we really aim to delight and deliver our customers value at every aspect of the business. And so that means that marketing is touching the whole customer lifecycle. And the beauty of that is it really aligns us with the entire company and the entire revenue organization. So the whole go-to-market process. So at Pantheon, that's really key to us. Marketing collaborates with every part of go-to-market at every touch point. That includes channel partners. We have a product-led growth, uh, all the rage (laughs) channel uh, with the trial. We have a direct sales organization and we have account managers that are responsible for customer retention and growth. And so we really work with all of those organizations, even into the end user advocacy developer relations organization. So our marketing goals are not based on a percent contribution of marketing. They are 100% aligned to our sales organization. And that means we're not looking at kind of what percent does marketing influence this or that or this or that or channel is all this or channel is all that. We can see with our attribution modeling that marketing is actually, marketing activities are influencing every channel, every activity, and many, if not most, of the people that end up purchasing and and using Pantheon. So we strive to influence 100% of revenue and 100% of the customer journey. That's our true north, and that really unifies us. 
with the sales. Yes. It's such a rising tide too, that when your business hits its revenue targets, it's a rising tide that lifts all boats. And I think it changes the entire dynamic of that partnership between sales and marketing. Absolutely. To be able to say, it's not your target, it's our target. It's just a whole different dynamic. That's right. It makes such a difference when you're, you have, well, first you can even align your organization right up to it. And and we've done that. Our field marketing is lined right up to our sales segments. And so that's the other dilemma. Okay, well, how could marketing be hitting their targets and sales is not? Or how could sales be hitting their targets and marketing is not? And it seems like there's always in the area that I've been in, growth, really growth marketing, you're penetrating new markets, you're trying a new market for the first time. It's really hard to be an American company and go into India or to Japan. Those are very, very different markets, the way people interact and buy and what they expect for products. And likely also sales segments, small business versus enterprise. So we really try to line right up to the sales segments and have people inside of marketing whose responsibility is to be working right there beside our counterparts across that organization and share those goals. I loved what you said too about marketing's responsibility at every touch point. And I think there's a huge opportunity. We've been talking a lot about the go-to-market strategy and how that manifests externally, but I think marketing has a unique responsibility internally to be that red thread, that connective tissue, just to add a little bit of that surprise and delight element to employees. What's your take on the role of bringing that culture, the role that marketing can bring to a culture within an organization? Yeah, I really... I think you and I are very aligned that when you put, and this is so passe, like it almost seems like a cliche kind of thing, which is put the customer in the center, but it is so true, right? It's it's not because it's just yeah. a saying, it's when everybody in a company is really focused on how you can bring value to customers when you really nail that and it's hard and it's a constant improvement because the market dynamic is changing and that's what I look for right when I know there's an executive team that I can really work with and get in I look for people that are they're really passionate about their better way and their better way is for customers for their customers and so when you can live that when when everybody in the company can really be looking at not how can I sell this not how can I market this but how yes. when I deliver this experience or this value right here how can I predict what someone would want right here and when you have those experiences it is like magic yes it is and if we think about our own experiences as consumers as buyers at drift we talk a lot about this paradigm shift that's occurred from businesses having had all the power to buyers now having all the power. And that's greatly been accelerated as we've gone from a world with digital to almost a digital first world overnight over the course of the past two years. You have a background coming from digital. How has that unique perspective helped you to navigate this digital transformation, this moment in time we're living in? And where do you see other companies potentially missing the mark? Yeah, there's two things that I see maybe that kind of set maybe this, I'll call it natural, digital first thing in in place and make people really effective. And first is an ability or a hunger to be constantly testing and learning. So growth mindset to apply that to everything that we're doing for our customers every day and create those hypotheses. What if we did this? What if we did that? And to do it from a purity of if I can deliver the best experience for the customer, then they're going to want to do more 
business with me, right? The value that they're going to achieve is going to make them say, yeah, I want to see what they're going to deliver next for me. And I've seen that one of my favorite experiences, one of that I've, I've looked to emulate in some of our PLG work is, is Miro. And they let you come in as you are. I, when I went in for my first time to use it, I did what I usually do is I'm kind of going to test it out. And so I used my personal email and that's a dilemma for us marketers, right? We want to give that experience so people can try things with their personal emails and, right. and be that open for them. We're all about open source. So we want to be that open for them. But then it means yeah. that, gosh, we don't know if they're already at one of our customers. And then what if we charge them and then we have to back it out on the back end because they realize, oh, well, we have a Miro account. And I'll use Miro as an example because I did that with Miro. And then when I went in, they said, they just gave me that little trigger, which is, oh, well, if you're with a company, would you like us to check and see if your company is already a customer? And I thought, well, gosh, sure, I will do that. Now they're bringing me value. And so I did. And certainly we were a customer at the time, you know, the company I was at. And so then I changed and I went and gave them my company address and I got to use Miro for free rather than having to go through that whole trial experience and then convert everything over. I don't know what the conversion would be. I kind of wish I would have tried it to see if that was seamless <laughs> too. But that's, to me, that's an example of bringing me value that is so good that of course- yeah. I'm going to do even what they want me to do because it's a better experience for me. Two things stand out for me in that example. The first is choice. You were empowered to choose, do you want me to do this? Which I think is really important in this empowered age of the consumer. And the second was this idea of value. So they were able to deliver value to you as a CMO. How are you able to understand what your buyers want or what they need so that you can deliver that value without even needing to be asked? Yeah. And that goes back to the testing and learning. Mm -hmm. And we, I just think back to the, the days of direct mail, direct mail. It, it was so slow, but direct mail were the days. And I was in the consumer, you know, B to B to C world then, but that champion challenger testing that you would constantly do in direct mail. And I remember, and I was in consumer finance and we had, it took us two years to beat our direct mail champion with all of our testing. And we were like, are we ever going to beat this? Because, you know, we're in marketing, we're getting tired of the old creative, right? right? And we're like, we're all tired of it, but the market's not. It took us two years. We finally did beat it and we ran that champion. But now with first marketing automation and now all of the automation that we can deliver, even personalized and persona based and across the whole customer lifecycle in all of our digital and our websites, we have at least 10 experiments running every day on our website, different experiences for different personas. And we're constantly trying to improve it. And we've seen so much improvement in every little detail, ranging from how fast does our page load on your mobile phone? which is really important to, do you prefer to provide some information via chat instead of forms? And I'll tell you the answer is yes. <laughs> so not not yeah. surprising to you, but the answer is yeah. yes. If I'm chatting with you, I'm probably much happier if I can just do what I need right there. And you can direct me there in a matter of seconds rather than, oh, close down and go to this form. So testing and learning is really everything and doing it with the concept of not just history, like these things, but hey, let's think of something that we think would be really innovative. We've also tested some things that really we thought were really cool. And they were like, nope, don't do that. So that's right. important too. being willing to kill things that are not. Yes. 
And arriving at that quickly, that fail fast mentality of test, 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 see what works, see what doesn't and move on. Absolutely. And so often it's the nuance too. I've seen that so many times with whether it's price increases or things like that, that are just so, you know, you're worried about them anyway, because you really don't want to upset customers, but you realize maybe you haven't done at a company. And that's happened for me numerous times that, gosh, it's been the same price for five years. And, you know, there's an impact and everyone wants, you know, customers that love you and are advocates, they want the company to be successful too, because they want to keep using it. So, so things like that, it's, it's often, it's not the concept, it's the nuance. And that's where really getting into the testing and learning what it is that truly works and what it is that doesn't work. And I love that concept of nuance, because as we think about the individuality of the people we're selling to and how you talked a little bit about B2C versus B2B, I'm hearing a lot these days about business to human, we're still selling to humans, whether it's humans within a business or direct to consumer, having that nuance and appreciation for their individuality, I think helps a marketer stand out, helps a brand stand out in a very noisy marketplace at the moment. Definitely. And user experience testing. I'm so fortunate. We have a great user experience team and we get to use the same team that works inside of our product, which is really a huge luxury. I always haven't, I haven't always had that. And they just love to take something and test it some crazy ideas and test it before we push something out there and maybe bother people, but they come up with just some really creative ideas that we might not have otherwise that give you that, like, what if I was right here, you know, picture myself, right? Have that, that empathy of if I was right here, what would I want, you know? And that prevents you also from that overt marketing because I never want people in my face where I feel like I'm sold. So much of that empathy, you know, when you're putting the customer at the center of everything you do, that is empathy on display, right? It's not egocentric. It's putting the customer and having the best of intentions for the customer at the center. Absolutely. You mentioned a little bit about your experience with direct mail. And I, it just got me thinking about this digital first push to more chat, more online experiences and how you balance that with some of the more standard marketing practices. I mean, every now and then I still enjoy getting snail mail or something at my home. So how are you thinking about that in your marketing mix, balancing digital with more of the standard or traditional marketing plays? It's so funny that you say that because just last night, I forget what I was doing. I was somewhere in my kitchen, which is where my mail all comes into. I was probably mm-hmm. opening my mail, which was probably more boring, you know, little, little <laughs> envelopes and things. Then I was thinking, gosh, strange to be thinking that you miss something at the beginning of COVID, but I kind of miss that era when we didn't have events anymore and we were all trying to figure out how to do something a little fun and different to engage people in the virtual world. And we were testing coffee kits or wine tastings, you know, virtual wine tastings and all of those things. I was like, oh, there hasn't been one of those recently. The good news mm-hmm. is there hasn't been one of those because we're starting to get right. in person again. And I, I've i been thinking yeah. recently, I'm going to have to trade in my Uggs, those are my slippers, for <laughs> now. I have some on right now. <laughs> I know. That's the fun thing, that we can actually get out and make human contact again. So I think bringing some of that forward, though, is really important and For us, one of the things that I think happened for a while is when nurtures became the rage, they were these strings of, and I remember I was at one place and there was this 90 node nurture. And I was thinking, does it have to be that complex? And how will we know if which one's working and which we should take out? So it, it was really an amazing work, but people want to talk to people. 
eventually. They want to connect. That doesn't mean that they want to right up front. They want to try a little bit. But once you get to a point where you have a question, you want a quick response and you want it the way you want it. You want it the way you learn best. And so personally, I like chat for some things in my own experience. And sometimes I'm just, it, it, just like you think of the, you know, when you dial in, airlines are the best example when, when your flight's been changed and you dial in and you get the voice system and you're just like, connect me to a rep. <laughs> yes. Live person. Yes. So I think that's the testing and learning. We have to span across the digital to human aspects and tap all of those elements of technology so that we really can. Like it, it is still about the right message to the right person at the right time. And, and so there is a role. I was just on a call just a few minutes ago. Is there a role for the BDR, SDR, MDR, whatever you want to call them? Absolutely, there is. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it goes back to your earlier point around choice. Give the consumer, give the buyer the choice for how they want to engage with you. I think that is critically important. Yes, I totally agree. You mentioned this earlier from an attribution standpoint, you don't look at percentage contribution. I think this is a radical idea for a lot of businesses as attribution has been the age old debate in the marketing community. It's less linear than sales. It's harder to tie impact. And in some organizations who might not be as progressive, being able to speak to influence just isn't enough. So if you were forced into a box where it was both influence and direct attribution or even just direct attribution, what would your advice be? How are you thinking? Is it first touch, multi-touch, last touch? Talk to me a little bit about how you're thinking about attribution. Oh yeah, we've used the first point of attribution. We've used, right, the U shape, the W shape. We've tested yes. all of those things. I've done that in multiple companies and, and um, we definitely use attribution as attribution, but gosh, to do the extreme, how many sales are actually achieved with one contact and one point of attribution in the B2B world? So we do have some through our online channel. We definitely have people who go in there and, and do their thing and create a website and take it live in there. So we have that. So that that's an example. And typically, though, they knew us from somewhere else. They'd use for, yeah, they're in an agency. Someone said, oh, you should go use Pantheon. So we definitely have that. We can see that. But in our more complex situations with customers, future customers, there are multiple people in the buying process and they're interacting with different types of, I'll call it content. And that's really not right because I'm not going to call it BDR content, but they're bringing right, value right. too, right? So they're engaging with different activities at different stages based on where they are. And so the important thing to do with attribution is to look by source. And I know that's a, there was an interesting thing on LinkedIn recently about source with that Carol Lou, you may know her that she, she posted and I loved it. But so we look at source like a Venn, right? The circles overlap. They are not clean, but we still look at them because we know that different activities are important to support our partner channel than they are to support our PLG channel. And there's different activities that are important for small businesses than our very large global multinationals. And we even know that we have different people who actually hold budget and buy in Europe and Asia than here in North America. So we have to look at all of those things. We have to look at it by source. We have to look at it by contact. 
And we have to look at it by account and by opportunity. And when we do that, then we see the patterns that matter. And the key is to be segmenting so that you are getting the right message to the right people at the right time and not trying to be one size fits all. Because even with all these fancy targeting things we can do in marketing, if we're still delivering it as if it's a mass strategy, then it is a mass strategy. And so I know it's very complex, but that is the reality of how we look at attribution. It's one data point that informs your broader strategy on this one-to-many, one-to-few, one-to-one journey that you're taking your different customer segments or different prospects, all of those different journeys. Yeah. And if you try to keep it as pure as possible, and remember, these are people, what we were talking about earlier, these are people coming through. So what is the combination of things that they're going to need at the different stages of their buying process? You think of the challenger sale methodology, it's a shift in mindset, And we're disruptive, just like you are, right? We have a disruptive capability that sometimes people can't even imagine that they can do the things that they can do using Pantheon. And so we have to bring them along so that they can see the old way they did things versus the new way that they can do things and get super excited about it. It's interesting, too, the commentary around the combination of tactics and aggregate that pays off the experience. I remember at a previous life being in a meeting with sales leaders and they wanted to drill down specifically into what is the top performing tactic. And we were always very careful to say, yes, that's an important data point. We can look at that, but it's the complete, the complete journey that we're taking people on that is actually you know, the true differentiator for us that really drives full impact. That's absolutely right. And events, you know, I'm sure as a marketer, you always get, well, now that we're back into the event world, we always used to get that like events, put most of the money in events. We need events, get me in front of a human and I will close the deal. Very true for really fantastic, amazing salespeople. That's pretty late in the sales process, that get in front of a person and I'll close the deal. There's a lot that has to happen beforehand. And even if you think of the best, call it outbound, the best outbound happens when the person you reach has heard of you. Oh, yeah. You can connect her. It's less work that the BDR has to do just to get someone to answer the phone. That's right. And it's really expensive if it's your sales execs that are making that first call and then having to create awareness. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that's actually how you argue for the power of awareness, right? Is to create a little bit more mind share to make it easier for that AE to get a foot in the door. That's right. That's right. And are we doing our job as marketers if that awareness isn't there? Right. Right. You know, that's hard in a very new market. When you're first entering a new market, it takes a while, right? That doesn't happen overnight, but it is a combination of of everything we do that builds that awareness. You know, brand is about this customer experience. So that's right. It's all of the touch points in in aggregate. I'm going to talk a little bit out of both sides of my mouth because you're talking about in aggregate, but I am curious to hear from you. How are you thinking about tactics right now, especially as we enter this hybrid world of some virtual events, some back in person? thinking about the whole marketing mix. And then how does that vary from first touch when a customer is just, or a company is just learning about you to perhaps you're trying to cross sell or upsell or retain a customer? How are you thinking about the way your mix changes or tactics change through each of those different life cycles? The thing that's consistent across each of those parts of the life cycle is really thinking about who is the person because we do have a couple of different personas. We we have different people who are in our software every day, creating websites, coding, versus people who are buying and people who are putting content in. So we have different activities happening for different people. So that is the thing that's consistent is we really try to look at the person and deliver the right thing for the person. 
We have two points in our uh, customer lifecycle that we're really focused on right now. We have a new product that we launched and we're really focused on getting good at adoption, helping our customers through adoption of this product, because it's not just go turn it on and use it. It actually takes a couple of steps. It's a little complicated. And so that's one area that we're focused in marketing is really what we do there. And that's a very targeted outreach that we are working with our customer support organization. It's a combination of activities that include our customer support organization reaching out to targeted customers, all name products. We have Pendo that we use for in-product. We have a couple of um, support and services types of things that we use email, but some of our customers don't really want to receive emails at all, even service type emails. That's not where they live. And then our account managers are working very closely with them based on making sure that working with the customers that are, you know, have raised their hand, have, have mentioned interest. So it's a very kind of dynamic combination of making sure that we're reaching everyone and creating that awareness in a very hands-on bespoke type of way. So that's one thing. We have account-based marketing in two flavors right now that we're really uh, deeply going into market. We have a few, very few accounts that we have existing relationships within, and we're tapping very tailored events to tell their story and reach others inside of their organization to expand those on a global and national basis here. And they're kind of distributed types of organizations. So in account-based marketing, we have that, which is, which is very much events, webinars, we have a little bit of emails and we definitely have nurtures so that when they come in and we also have things on our website so that if okay. they do come, we can identify and personalize experiences on your website, social, yeah. all of those. We're, we're really testing to get it right there for these, each of these customers. And then we have the targeted ABM where we have some groups or segments. Cohorts. Yeah. Yeah. That we're also bringing through all the way from digital ad type buys, digital and social buys. So those are a couple of the things that we're doing. We have one point right at the BDR stage where we're also working with the best integrated nurture. So not just that you get eight emails and then you're going to all of a sudden be, <laughs> you know, you're going to know everything you need to know. It's more the, oh, here's a reason to call. Oh, what's the next type of conversation that they're going to want to have? Are they going to want to demo? Are they going to want to try to get in the product and test it out? What I love about these specific examples is that they really pay off the vision that you stated up front, which is marketing is this connective tissue collaborating across every part of the business. You talked about your partnership with service, your partnership with BDRs. And then the other piece that stood out to me is just this whole idea of, yes, the tactics are necessary, but it's the journey. It's the email plus the BDR conversation. You know, it's the all of the different ABM touches that an aggregate deliver personalization. So it's great to hear another marketer kind of living and breathing the philosophy. So we're not just all buzzwords, right? We're, we're living and breathing what we say is the right thing to do. It's almost like everything is a surround if it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. And not everything does need to be like the, that first PLG example. Some people, we definitely have really powerful developers who just want to go in and create a website. Leave me alone. I know what I need to do. I'm going to get in there. So we need to honor that too. Like the worst thing we do there is create a pop-up or something to try to intercept them. That can't happen. Right. Well, I will, that leads us to our final question, which we ask every guest who comes on Revenue Talks. And we may have touched on some of this already, but what is the one thing that your team is most focused on to accelerate revenue for your business this year? I'm going to call it moments that matter, but for us is really thinking about everywhere we can bring value. 
every single place that we can have. And it's a feeling. Value is a feeling that we feel as customers that is like, oh, yeah, they get me. And so that's that moment that matter. We want our customer experience to feel like a like a dialogue. We want it to feel comfortable. We want people to feel like we're with them and of them and they're part of us too, that we're in this together. We're really like our pride and joy is when we see our customers creating websites that deliver extraordinary performance. And that's all aspect of performance for their customers. So for us, really figuring out new ways to innovate and nail that is what makes us super excited. I think you're speaking to the power of community and creating that community with your customers and their customers. And everyone wants to feel seen and heard, like you get me. And you're right, that is an intangible feeling, but it's very powerful. And it's a real differentiator because people can tell when you're being authentic or when you're not being authentic in that community space. That's right. Well, Christy, thank you so much for being here today and sharing some of your wisdom with all of us and our listeners. We wish you the best of luck in 2022 and uh, hope to talk with you again soon. Thank you, Katie. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Revenue Talks. We'd love it if you left a review wherever you're listening and hit subscribe so you never miss a new episode. You can connect with us both on Twitter at Katie J. Foote with an E and at Justin Keller. And remember... Revenue, it's everyone's business now.